0: This is the latest edition of Return to Reason with Leon Fontaine, where knowledge, common sense, and wisdom intersect. With a high value of people and their right to think for themselves, Return to Reason endeavors to present the whole story so that you can make fully informed, wise decisions and bring positive change to your life, community, and to the nation. And now, here's Leon Fontaine.
1: A crisis changes the tone, the speed, and the reach of public policy and sometimes that isn't to the benefit of the people. Behind extraordinary governmental powers lies a dissolving of our individual rights. The cost of a crisis is not solely money. We will end up paying with our health, our wealth, the next generation's potential, and an erosion of our democracy.
0: The Cost of Exploitation and Crisis
1: Even before COVID, some said our democratic institutions were under attack. I would argue the pandemic has provided an opportunity to speed up this pursuit. Today, I'm going to raise some points and thoughts for you to consider this hypothesis. Western democracy is built on the function of four pillars – legislature, executive branch, courts, and the press. When one or more is not functioning optimally, the checks and balances evaporate. We live in an age of overwhelming amounts of information. Some headlines are true and some aren't. As we attempt to distinguish between fact and fiction, or to what degree the truth has been bent, for whatever reason, I think it's important to be mindful that we are all human. Big business cronies, politicians, blue-collared workers, journalists, doctors, scientists, parents, we're all human. As the saying goes, it is not in the making of mistakes that we differ, but in our actions to right those wrongs. The word exploitation refers to using a scenario unfairly to one's own advantage. To erode something implies a disintegrating and a changing from its original form. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to observe that Canada is a shadow of its former self, almost unrecognizable in terms of rights, freedoms, and the ability to civilly debate issues in a public forum. The unequivocally successful former Australian Deputy Prime Minister, John Anderson, often repeats the phrase, we cannot have good public policy without good public debate. He is so right. Where has all the good debate gone? In my lifetime, I can't recall a time when it was so taboo to question those in positions of leadership. Individuals are being ridiculed, discredited, and disciplined simply for sharing data or their personal experiences. On its face, that would be a grand indicator that those who are doing the silencing have something to hide. My challenge to you today is to be brave enough to hear the truth. Sometimes this confronts your current beliefs and helps you to think critically. Life isn't always black and white. There are gray areas that lie on the margins of the law. Things can be done in a clever and self-serving way, proverbially speaking, bending the law rather than breaking it. It's been said that the pandemic has only exposed the cracks in the foundation that were already there, and I think that's a correct observation. There is without a doubt less emphasis on these three things in the past few years, holding public officials accountable, individual rights and freedoms, and trust in our institutions. It may be years before we see exactly how actions during the pandemic serve those with the most to gain. It will take even longer for public office to gain the people's trust again. In the month we honor those who paid for freedom with their lives, I think we should fight for our Canadian values and freedom with renewed vigor. We need to fight for our right to demand truth and transparency. We need leaders to be held accountable for their actions and we need course corrections, wrongs righted. I wanna see a Canada that can flourish and move forward without being misguided by self-serving political agendas we should all be empowered by the words of the Right Honorable John G. Diefenbaker. I am a Canadian, free to speak without fear, free to worship in my own way, free to stand for what I think right, free to oppose what I believe wrong, or free to choose those who shall govern my country. This heritage of freedom I pledge to uphold for myself and all mankind. I love that. Long after the pandemic has run its course, what kind of country will we be left with? We need an unquenchable thirst for truth if we are going to be able to find and fix the real problems. Without that, as a society, we may be simply applying band-aids on bullet holes.
2: The practice I want to bust is called legislated optimism. It's the purview of the one-way leader, where communication is primarily one-way, from the leader to everyone else, and the reverse is not valued. It's not welcomed, and the message is often upbeat. Don't worry. Things are okay. we got it covered. We have a plan. This is often insisted on literally the day before the company declares bankruptcy. In an environment of legislated optimism, conclusions are reached at the point where everyone stops thinking, which is usually short of brilliant. (laughs) And we stopped thinking because, clearly, our leaders have done the thinking for us and called it good. And we know the difference between the weak leader who's looking for compliance and agreement and the strong leader, the fierce leader, who wants the truth. I think we're bigger than this. In fact, my experience of most people is quite the opposite of we can't handle the truth. There is something within us that responds to those who level with us, who don't suggest our compromises for us. In fact, those careful conversations that we're so proud of and so fond of are failed conversations because they merely postpone the conversations that want and need to take place. We can handle the truth. Hold us able and lay it on us. The progress of the world depends on our progress as individuals now. I don't want us to put this all off on the so-called leaders. In fact, leadership is not a title, it's a behavior. And anyone can exhibit it. When people say, I, don't, I, don't, I can't behave this way, I can't speak my mind, because in our culture, it would not be welcomed. I wish I lived in a culture of radical transparency. I, I always challenge that because I'm looking at the culture when I'm looking at you.
1: Media has always played a big role in how official messaging from leaders has been presented and framed. It's unsurprising but concerning how many intertwined relationships there are between mainstream media and government funding. That's probably a topic for a whole other show on its own. For example, Tax dollars make up 70% of the CBC's budget. While viewership has nosedived, their budgets somehow seem to have increased. The biased legacy media is part and parcel of the approved narrative. Former emergency management expert David Redman, while comparing Sweden's approach to Canada's, chronicled it this way. I need to come back to the word I used earlier, which is courage. Dr. Tegnell, who led Sweden's response, was attacked viciously by the Western media. He was attacked by the politicians even in his own country because they wanted to see a bump in their polls like we saw with our PM here. They thought they could use the pandemic to their advantage. Dr. Tegnell steadfastly refused to cave. And because of his courage, amidst threats against his family, his children, Sweden is as we see it today. It takes real courage in an emergency. That's why I believe we've been failed by our prime minister and our premiers across Canada, because they've tried to rule by their Twitter feeds and their daily polls, rather than do what they knew was right. The lockdowns, right or wrong, have cost Canadians huge amounts in bailouts, serb protective equipment like masks, and forced overtime of healthcare professionals alone. The government of Canada has committed over $9 billion to procure vaccines and therapeutics and to provide international support. Procurement doesn't include the money spent on advertising and marketing the vaccines to Canadians. In the late summer, a billion dollars of federal money was promised to provinces to pay for vaccine passport systems. COVID-19 has cost us lives too, primarily in our vulnerable senior population. In fact, Canada ranked last in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development's data on protecting those most vulnerable. We ranked last? And meanwhile, public officials here in Canada often boast about how their measures will and have saved countless lives. I'd encourage you to look at the real data rather than listen to empty buzzwords designed to boost poll numbers and increase vaccine uptake. We have failed our seniors, particularly those in care homes. Stats Canada has marked COVID as the cause of death for nearly 30,000 Canadians since 2020, but it'll take decades to analyze the deaths due to the collateral damages of the non-pharmaceutical measures like lockdowns, things like depression, suicide, homelessness, missed cancer screenings, and postponed operations, just to name a few. No one can argue that COVID hasn't cost us, and it's unclear exactly what we gained from this forced investment. If this money is coming out of our pockets, whose pockets is it going into? Author George Orwell, love him or hate him, put it this way, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. When detectives attempt to solve a crime to determine the truth, They rely on evidence. They notice patterns, clues, track records. Only on rare occasions do they get a confession from the guilty parties. So today I'm going to point out some evidence and encourage deductive reasoning. It's up to you to evaluate the evidence for yourself.
3: It really is critical that all Canadians be aware that really, in many respects, this is a historic time, and that indeed, really everything is at stake. When you think of it, this has been characterized very much as a crisis. And crises um, can rally people together in a positive way, but they can also be used in a negative way. When we look at the amount of dollars that have been spent by governments, they're, they're records amounts. In fact, The federal government itself has spent more money than was spent in terms of constant dollars than all of world war ii and those um take us very much into ethical territory crises are often used as a pretext as a a rationale to, for governments, for good things, but also for bad things, namely to advance their power and authority far beyond what you could, by definition, do under a normal time.
1: Through the pandemic, Canadians have been subjected to. Our charter of rights and freedoms not being upheld and the evidence to sidestep it has not been demonstrably justified or proven in court. We have repeatedly been told to stay home and mind our own business, literally, We've been told not to question the decisions or public health measures. Thousands of Canadians have been censored or disciplined and even fired. We've been unsuccessful at eradicating COVID and have added more national debt than in any crisis in the history of Canada. The vaccines that received emergency approvals and full approvals did so without the normal parameters of clinical safety trials or a liability for vaccine injuries and deaths. Instead, the National Department of Health has budgeted $75 million for a compensation fund for any deaths due to the vaccines themselves. Even if these claims are rare, it's unknown if the budgeted amount will suffice. Have leaders taken actions that have been self-serving, shortcuts, fueled by a desire for more money, power, influence, and control? Even while the procurement process was clumsy and slow, our government's website states, We are securing access to safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines now and into the future. Canada has secured COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna for 2022 and 2023, with options to extend into 2024. Pfizer BioNTech account for about 75% of the doses administered here in the Great White North. Pfizer executives have seen their annual bonuses double or triple in the last fiscal year. Half a dozen conflicts of interest were revealed between members of the FDA Advisory Board and Pfizer. Pfizer and other household names like Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca are no stranger to paying billions in court to settle lawsuits. Many of those are for illegally marketing products to patients whom it is unsuitable treatment and offering kickbacks to doctors for prescribing them. The U.S. Sun reported in June 2021 that in initial deals with the U.S. government, Pfizer vaccines cost $19.50 per dose, compared with $15 for Moderna's shot $16 for Novavax's, $10 for Johnson & Johnson's vaccine, and $4 for AstraZeneca's. But a later statement from the company said those discounts were because Pfizer wanted to do the right thing during the peak of the pandemic, and that over time, the price per unit would increase in value, well over $100 each dose. This is a convenient business strategy now that vaccines and boosters are being pushed as the only solution. Pfizer is currently the only manufacturer to have FDA approval for pediatric vaccines, a demographic for which COVID poses virtually no risk, less than influenza. What price tag the company puts on those doses is not yet confirmed. Even if it's relatively low per dose, we're still talking about millions. Earlier this year, an undercover journalist for Project Veritas secretly recorded a conversation with Justin Durant, who is employed as a scientist with vaccine manufacturer Johnson & Johnson. She asked why, in his opinion, there is a big push to vaccinate the pediatric population despite their low risk of COVID death. His response, quote, numbers, by comparison, therapeutic treatments for COVID, which are extremely hard to come by in Canada, and basically outlawed from discussing out loud, are by all accounts dirt cheap. Global pricing points to ivermectin, for example, costing less than $5 per course of treatment. Interesting that in the last few weeks, rumblings of Pfizer's antiviral pill have now materialized. So if the vaccine efficacy wears off, which data proves, then we can just go down the line to the next alternative Pfizer has marketed. Again, that's convenient. Natural immunity obtained after someone has been infected and recovered makes exactly zero dollars for industry elites, and it completely detracts from the hard push for public health approved measures. How fascinating that it has long been ridiculed and unconsidered as a form of protection against COVID. Really, your body can't produce better immunity than a lab? Who, in what indirect measure, is getting kickbacks from the widely distributed mRNA vaccines? I don't know the answer to that question today. It would only be speculation. However, we can look to what we do know, look for clues, patterns, and we should always look for a track record. History certainly proves there can be collusion between big business and governments. In those cases, usually it's the public who get the short end of the stick. The Great Reset is a book put out by Klaus Schwab, the founder and former executive chairman of the World Economic Forum and Theory Malaret. In this post-COVID utopian society, it describes taking advantage of the pandemic and seizing the opportunity to rethink how the world functions. Yes, it's unequivocally touting globalism through socialistic strategies, using a huge emphasis on climate change to take from the earned prosperity of one nation and force transfer it to others. That's what this book recommends, rewriting a country's economic infrastructures to allow for progressive change and equity among nations.
3: That's one of the central tenets of the sorts of stuff that Klaus Schwartz and the people in the World Economic Forum are uh, talking about. The idea is to reinvent capitalism so it's much more focused on good social outcomes and we have stakeholder capitalism rather than shareholder capitalism and so forth. Well, you'll have to forgive me if I say that the idea of having by and large almost exclusively billionaires who fly into a, a gathering and meet you know, in these secretive gatherings in Switzerland and then wish to tell me <laughs> How are they going to reinvent the world for me? But it's all for my own good. Well, I think people ought to run a million miles from that. You can to put, put a positive spin on this, but this is absolutely taking us back to the idea of the corporate state. And this is the fusion between government, large corporations, and often as well, uh, large unions, large, large workers' organisations and it's a terribly, terribly anti-democratic thing. No wonder it shocked so
1: many free market thinkers a few months ago when Trudeau used verbiage directly out of the pages of that book during a speech at the United Nations in September 2020.
0: After being criticized, they were quick to dismiss it as a conspiracy theory. MP Dr. Leslin Lewis made some stunning rebuttals to that weak dismissal in an article she wrote for the post-millennial. One excerpt reads, the devastation brought on by COVID requires our united efforts in protecting Canadians. It is not a time to capitalize on our vulnerabilities by utilizing our tax dollars to usher in one man's vision of a greener, more sustainable and inclusive economy. All of these words sound benevolent on their own, but what are the actual policy changes that this liberal government believes are necessary and plan to implement? Without presenting budgets or plans to the House of Commons, this remains a mystery, to put it kindly. We need all hands on deck to survive this pandemic, and there should be no hidden agenda.
1: Earlier this month, our Prime Minister pledged an invigorated vision to get to net zero. He failed to mention how this will completely dismantle the current Canadian economy and will decimate hundreds of thousands of jobs businesses and households via costly tax hikes. For example, heating your home could triple, a tank of gas might quadruple, a trendy narrative and no support for the people who will be affected. This is a common trend, aggressive policies and little follow through. The Great Reset doesn't only destroy the oil and gas sector. In fact, a lot of other industries will be jeopardized. Plastics, farming, forestry, mining, and more are on the line. Canadians need to wake up to the possibility that under a reset, we'll take a huge drop in our standard of living. Keep in mind, China and Russia were not around the table at the recent climate conference in Glasgow. They promised nothing, it's not gonna affect their economies. Globalism is real and is very present in Canada. Let's look at other patterns of low accountability in our current Canadian political landscape. It isn't until now, late November, that Parliament is reconvening. It's been nearly five months since the House has sat. We went for nearly two years without a federally approved budget, the longest delay between budgets ever. Several ethics violations have been confirmed since the current government took office back in 2015. During the hype of the pandemic, those seem to have conveniently fallen off of news headlines. We had an unnecessary hyperspeed federal election that produced almost no change in results, and left a roughly $600 million bill in its wake. Who is accountable for these actions? Who has the most to gain from a prolonged period of backroom meetings and private filings? A government or any level of leadership that seeks extraordinary power and zero accountability doesn't exactly exude trustworthiness. In due time, When we look back at the pandemic and can follow the money, it may be difficult to separate evil intentions versus simple opportunity. But we're not justified to judge another man's intentions. We are only justified in our endeavor to judge the fruits of his actions. What he or she did, what transpired from those actions, and what reactions took place. The thing is, We cannot ignore the trends and actions we currently see, hoping things will just work out for the best. One of the most famous Soviet dissidents, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, was an outspoken critic of communism. During his time as a political prisoner in the gulag, he penned this, in keeping silent about evil in burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appears on the surface. We are implanting it and it will rise up a thousandfold in the future. When we neither punish nor reproach evildoers, we are not simply protecting their trivial old age. We are thereby ripping the foundations of justice from beneath new generations. We know our future generations will be affected by this. Beyond uncovering the corruption and bringing guilty parties to justice, there is also the economic impacts of the unprecedented spending to deal with. We are already seeing inflation skyrocket. History has proven time and time again that sustainable, healthy economic growth happens when free market capitalism can exist and big government gets out of the way. Arguably, many Canadians relied on government checks to pay rent and put food on the table during the first months of lockdown. I'm not discrediting that situation at all. Long term, this is not sustainable for the country, nor beneficial for the individuals. It is more important than ever that Canadians grapple with this concept and educate themselves on the disadvantages of increased government intervention into our everyday lives. In a 2021 article by the Fraser Institute, authors Jake Fuss and Nathaniel Lee made these conclusions expanding federal government involvement in the economy post-COVID will impede prosperity for Canadians and their families and it'll slow our economic growth at a time when growth is sorely needed. That's not a recipe for success. Amidst the real-life challenge of a new virus and an overwhelming realization that our Western civilization is struggling There has been a huge transfer of wealth and an exploitation of this situation for personal, political, and ideological gain. Now is the time to act. We need to stand up and ask for the truth. We should hold steadfast in our pursuit of the freedom to demand the facts, free from political bias. So bring this topic up in a natural and well-informed way, either by writing a letter to the editor of your local paper, calling your elected official, or mentioning it in conversation with fellow Canadians. Even if it's uncomfortable, the truth is worth finding. Wisdom teaches us it's when you know the truth that you make right choices, and then you can walk out freedom. Canadians deserve better. Canadians deserve truth. Canadians deserve the whole story. Let's all return to reason.
0: very places where, you know, we would expect to see great leadership, is the places that we are now seeing the worst level of leadership. Lots of people with titles and status all over the world, but their character stinks and their people skills are even worse than their character. So therefore, they are not really a good leader
2: just because they have a title and a position.
0: Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv. There, you can also find out more about Leon, his books, and his other media series. You can help us grow this podcast by rating, reviewing, sharing this episode with a friend, or subscribing. Still want more? Follow Leon Fontaine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a suggestion for the show or would like the reference material
2: for this episode, use the link in the show notes.